Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 16. Now on that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all of these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tamara, Dr. Regard, and everybody. Thank you very much. What? Okay. Well, that was a bummer of a scripture, really. I mean, why is it that it, even in scripture, when we have these incredible, miraculous glimpses of the resurrection, why don't they persist and sustain? <laughs> why, is, why is it fleeting glimpses of the resurrection? Again, e- even for the folks who were there so many thousands of years ago, our scriptures, our sacred texts tell us that e- even then, those experiences weren't long-lasting, the experience being that I get to see the resurrected Jesus. Jesus says to Mary, don't hang on to me. Jesus shows up. Some of you know this story well enough to know if you don't. Man, do I have a story to tell you today out of Luke chapter 24. In this story, Jesus is there. They finally do see him and recognize him, and then he's gone. Other uh, resurrection witnesses don't get hours worth they get minutes worth sometimes it seems like they get seconds worth of resurrection hope and reality in other words kind of like us I mean do you remember it's only been a couple of weeks we were wall-to-wall people remember that you ever asked yourself why do we have so many I asked myself this week, you don't have to have asked yourself this, I asked myself this week, why are we packed to the gills on an Easter Sunday and then not after that? I, I have a thought at least, and, and, it, and it goes something like this, I, I think people are aching for the truth of a resurrection witness, but are sometimes disenchanted when it only comes in glimpses, if at all. And when it only comes in glimpses, if at all. It's hard to get up when that alarm goes off. I don't know what time your alarm goes off. It's hard to get up at 10.15. <laughs> <You know? laughs> or 9.15, or 8.15, or 7.15, and get two and three and four kids ready to go. Got to get them fed. Probably ought to be relatively clean by the time they get there. All of this, <laughs> all, all of this for a fleeting glimpse of the resurrection, if it's even that, I kind of get it. 
kind of get it. I mean, it, it is hard to sell that resurrection power and energy is setting the agenda, right? This is a, a picture of a family listening to the BBC. Now, long time ago, long time ago, the BBC was just a radio voice. And their news happened at the three-quarter point of the hour. There was a day in 1930, and I'm telling you this is true. There was a day in 1930 when they had so little news, good or bad, to report that they said, well, we don't really have that much news to report, so we're going to play Wagner for the rest of this 15 minutes. That was April 18th, 1930, and it hasn't happened since. In fact, in fact, I would submit that we have a culture that is now addicted to bad news. Does that mean you all agree with me? I think we have a culture that's addicted to bad news so much so that we're willing to pay for it month to month. That's remarkable. Must have my bad news. I mean, where else am I going to get it if I don't pay for my bad news? Where else am I going to get my bad news? <laughs> we swim in bad news the way fish swim in water. You see that? Now do you see why it may be hard to keep both hands worth of a grip on resurrection hope? Everybody getting that? I get it. I will tell you, though, what I think we need. Uh, let, me, let me tell you, I, and I'm, you have to stay to the end, but I'm going to kind of give away the end of the sermon here. In order to get these glimpses of resurrection hope, you need the following elements. You need a proper understanding of Scripture. I need Jason so he can say amen to that because I'm going to get to a disciple commercial here in, in a second. You need this. We need time around the table. We need to gather. <laughs> I just got a fist bump, Tiger Woods fist bump from Jason in the back. <laughs> fist pump, not fist bump. Uh, we need to gather like this and, ready for this? It's crucial. We need to both volunteer and see volunteers volunteering. And here's why, man, I, I knew this was going to be Volunteer Sunday, and, and we are going to celebrate you volunteers in the atrium afterwards. So if you have volunteered in any way over the last 12 months, stay and let us celebrate you. It, it is crucial. You are the lifeblood, not just of, of the functioning of the church, but you are the lifeblood of a resurrection witness. Because in a transactional society, and friends, we live in a transactional society, the people who are volunteering and giving sacrificially something for what the world would consider nothing, something for nothing, they seem to know something that everybody else doesn't know yet. Volunteers, we use this phrase a lot, volunteers put skin and flesh on the reality of the resurrection, wherein love wins. I'm going to say that again, I'm going to say it more slowly so you can write it down. You ready? Because I, I believe this. Volunteers and volunteerism put skin and flesh on the reality of the resurrection. 
Because again, in a world that is so bent on the transaction, conditional relationships, if you will, then I will, right? In a church, but not just here on this campus, in a church, those people who volunteer their times, who give sacrificially, yes, of their means, but who give of themselves, are putting skin and flesh on the reality that something is different, that love, in fact, has won. John, are you saying that only Christians can volunteer well? No. I'm saying that Christians should volunteer because love has won. You mean just here at the church? Yes, and. Some of you don't have the opportunity because of your work schedule, and I totally get it. Maybe it's your family schedule and the people that you have to care for. You don't have time to do some of the volunteering that other people do. That's okay. But where are you giving of yourself and getting nothing in return, at least as far as the planet is concerned, as far as the world is concerned, as they look at you? Where else are you giving but not giving so as to get. You need to do that. Because there is something in that posture and in that movement that is a reminder of you of the victory of love. Did you know that it takes more than 60 volunteers to pull off a Sunday at OKC First? I've got some of these facts and figures for you. Uh, kids ministry, each Sunday, thank you, Lisa, for this, each Sunday, uh, we need 27 volunteers to take care of the kids. We need, in this room, 20 volunteers, 20, 20, much more than that. Okay, somebody do the math. 10, 8, Aaron, do the math. 10, 8, 2, 5, and 3. 28. And that's before you use Urshers. <laughs> <laughs> that was free of charge. <laughs> it takes five for us to pull off a live stream. Two more to help us with sound and the screens. Typically, there is somewhere between six or eight in the band. It will take ten to serve communion and three that clean up after communion. That is so good. <laughs> Friends, it is so good to have volunteers. And it's not just that it's less work on the pastors. I deeply appreciate that. It's not just that, though. It's that when people volunteer, they may not even know it, but when people volunteer, hopefully you'll see it now, they are testifying to the reality of the resurrection. Did you know it takes 80 volunteers to pull off VBS? And some of you have not yet volunteered to receive that blessing? 80. We need 80 volunteers to pull off Vacation Bible School. It takes 115 volunteers to pull off uh, Fall Fest. Fall Fest. <laughs> you know, when we do the, the thing all around the building and then there's inflatables and all that kind of stuff, it takes 115. We are at our most healthy when you are at your most busy volunteering. We, we say this around here all the time. We are trying to do these three things. Remember what they are? Friendship with God, 
Worship and liturgy. Friendship with one another. Kind of get that one, right? God's mind about the other is made up and the news is good. An open friendship for the sake of the world. That takes a variety of forms. One of those forms is busy in the arena that we would call the arena of justice. But another way to do that, that open friendship for the sake of the world, is by helping y'all. We need your help, and you need the help for your own sake as well. In fact, while we're here, let me tell you that we need a couple other groups. We need some more volunteers. I now have a, uh, a hit squad of folks who are helping us to maintain the building, and I am grateful <laughs> for John Painter and Casey Shepard and Shane Thompson with the business entitled, You Get What You Pay For, Shane Thompson Improvements. <laughs> <laughs> we need some more help. I don't know if you know this, that we live here in a building together that is in various places, JR, it's like one of them is like eight years old, but this part is like 30, 30 years old, and that part back there is like 50 plus years old. And 50 plus year old buildings need folks who know how to fix things. <laughs> Says the ex, uh, right, executive pastor. But it's not just that the building needs help, I'm telling you. Where your journey toward Christ-likeness is concerned, where your journey toward that place where you live with a posture of resurrection, life, and hope, and energy, you need to help. Because those resurrection moments are fleeting. And I could have said all of that a different way, and so let me say it now, given all of the disenchantedness that is out there, given the flood of bad news that's out there, given our addictions, addictions to bad news, we need more and more people who can be the skin and flesh embodiment of resurrection hope. You see, when you, when you serve, and by the way, if you would like to serve, there's a place even on our website where you can tell us when you're available, what you do well, all that kind of stuff. It's right there on the front page, tab that says serve. Yeah, check it out. Do you know we had a website? We have a very good website. The folks who care for kids make resurrection, those fleeting moments, those bursts of resurrection, insight and clarity, make those possible. The, the folks who play and sing. The person running the sound, quite fond of the person running sound. The people running the live stream. The people who repair the building. All of those things in their own way help protect and preserve the possibility of the next resurrection moment. I mean, if resurrection moments are going to be fleeting, and they are, then we have to steward the capacity steward those opportunities for resurrection moments and volunteers help us to do that. Because everybody, most if not everybody, at some point is going to walk this road to Emmaus. And here's what I mean by that. <laughs> most of us, if not all of us, at some point are going to wrestle really hard with whether or not the resurrection happened. 
We're going to wrestle really hard with the fact that we have this flood, this flood of bad news. We're going to wrestle with how we juxtapose the, the good news of the resurrection with the bad news that we have all around us. In other words, all of us at one point or another are going to find ourselves on the Emmaus Road. That, that's what was happening here with these people. Tim just read it to us. It was the same day. Two of them, we, we kind of think they, they might have been a husband and wife crew. Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And we're going to hear more from them, how they saw and understood the things that had happened. We think that they were husband and wife, at least there's a good chance they were husband and wife. We think they probably lived in Emmaus. They perhaps, maybe even probably, were part of the entourage that came with Jesus into Jerusalem. Maybe they were part of the Palm Sunday, the first ever Palm Sunday liturgy. Maybe they were part of the crew that went in with, with great energy and great hope only to see their savior candidate, savior candidate, wiped out. Now they had heard a rumor, they don't know what to do with it. They, they had heard the rumor of good news, but it kind of seemed too good to be true because they weren't changed by it yet. You know anybody like that? You know anybody like that who has, let's say, arms reach access to this really good news, but are not yet so deeply convinced that it changes their lives or their postures? Again, most, if not all of us, refined our way to the Emmaus Road. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and was just walking with them. This all seems a little bit creepy, but I like it. So they're walking, he's walking, he walks closer and closer until he can actually hear what they are saying, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, why could they not recognize him? I don't know. I don't know. Have you ever seen somebody that you knew, that you knew pretty well, but you saw them outside of the context in which you know them, and consequently, you couldn't really recognize her? It happens to, to Kelly every once in a while. She'll go, I know that kid. Well, she had the kid in class. But seeing that person outside of class, maybe you don't spot them where you don't expect to see them. Maybe you don't recognize Jesus if you think he's dead. Right? For whatever reason, they were not able to recognize him. Now, indulge me. I'm just going to tell you this story. If you haven't heard it before, I'm kind of jealous of you. So Jesus said to them, having sort of walked up with them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And then they stopped. And they looked very sad because they are unconvinced. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, said, really? <laughs> Where have you been? <laughs> Literally says here, in fact, Dr. Tash and I talked about this this, this week, this is evidence that at times the Bible intends to be funny. Because Cleopas answers Jesus, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have taken place there in these days? Said it to Jesus. Really? You don't know? Have you been like under a rock or something? That'd been really interesting if he said that. <laughs> yeah, you're getting it. I can hear it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Let it breathe. 
And then Jesus keeps playing along. Jesus says, well, tell me about it. What are you talking about? And they went, okay. It's about this Jesus of Nazareth person who was, doesn't say Savior here, doesn't say Messiah here, it says prophet. He's a prophet. He'd already been demoted from, as you probably would, right, from Messiah to prophet if you watched your Messiah candidate die. Mighty indeed in word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Now, not exactly sure what they meant by the terminology of redeeming Israel here. It is likely that they meant that somehow Jesus would be part of the means whereby the Roman occupation would have been overthrown that would have allowed these Jewish folks to be free in their Judaism. Probably somehow meant that. Now, maybe they thought it would happen in a violent sort of way. Don't know, don't know. But we do know that they were disappointed in Jesus and maybe even, should say at this point, disappointed by Jesus. I wonder how many of the people who were here on the 9th of April and aren't here on the 23rd of April are disappointed. Is that fair? I wonder how many of the people in the room on the 23rd of April are disappointed. Yes, and besides all of this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. Now, we can't really take them seriously because they're women. It's not in here, but that's how they would have said it. Because what they said was crazy. They were at the tomb early this morning, and they didn't find his body in the tomb. So they went back and they told us that they had seen a vision of angels who had said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. Probably what happened is they stole the body, right? There's all those kind of rumors too. They probably stole the body. Just crazy. Now in the ancient Greek, <laughs> I always hated when preachers said that, sorry. Jesus is going to say this to them. He's going to say, reads in your Bibles how foolish you are. But it kind of could have been translated, you all have empty heads. <laughs> then he said to them, having heard their reports, how foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah, the one you called a prophet, should suffer these things and then enter into his glory. Y'all, this is huge. And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all of the scriptures. Okay, now this is big, right? Hear, hear this. It seems that if you don't read the Bible well, if you don't read the Bible well, you may not know Jesus when he walks up to your conversation. Now, I know I've just hurt somebody's feelings, because maybe you are a champion Bible quizzer. God bless you. But if you don't read the Bible in ways that point to the need of the Savior to behave in these sorts of ways, you haven't read your Bible well. But John, I memorized it. That doesn't mean you've read it well. 
Let me say this again. There are lots of different ways to read, experience, and appropriate Scripture. In some traditions, it's okay for you to take a piece of Scripture and from that one piece of Scripture to build an entire universe of meaning from one Scripture. We are not that tradition. Yeah, that's right. We take very seriously that what we have in the Bible is a long story that continues to both unfold and enfold, Ian, F-O-L-D. It, it continues to unfold because time marches on and the things that are true continue to be true even as the culture moves. But it enfolds as well because you are meant, believer, you are meant, Christian, to find your spot in the story. You are meant to do with your life what we see Jesus doing with his life. All of that to say, man, you really got to take disciple. Please help me welcome Jason Smith. <laughs> so, this is going to be hard for you to believe, I know it. But we have board members who haven't taken disciple yet. Don't point don't point. I worry about any believer who does not recognize, appreciate, and then appropriate the narrative nature of our story known as the Bible. Let me say it like this. I am certain that you can love Jesus, what you know of Jesus, and be well behaved. But I am not sure that you can have the kind of companionship that you are built to have unless you understand this Jesus, not just informationally, but formationally. Y'all yeah. yeah. need to take disciple. But it's not just that, right? Let me say this, one more thing, I'm sorry. Now I'm meddling, I'm sorry. I think it's possible to struggle with the resurrection if you don't understand the narrative case that the Bible makes for it. I think, I think it, it makes some sense to me that you and I would in, in moments be cynical and even skeptical of the resurrection if, we, if you haven't done the work or had somebody walk with you as he or she did the work to make the case for the suffering and the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, you weren't excited about that, but I was. Okay. <laughs> it's not just that, though. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he was going on. I love how Jesus just messing with them. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he said, Okay. He went in to stay with them. Now you know what happens next, right? When he was at the table with them, he took bread. Sound familiar? Blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Y'all, again, about us as we gather around the table. We do not conjure the presence of God. 
as we gather around the table. If we can just break it once, twice, three times just right, and then rub the magic candle, Jesus shows up. No, there's a real sense in which, though this all honors God, it's for us. Because, as the story tells us, there's something about the breaking of the bread having been blessed. There's something about the bread then given having been broken that is so reminiscent of this Jesus character and how Jesus embodied the truth of Jesus (laughs) that there's something about this bread taken, blessed, broken, and given that so reminds us of Jesus that sometimes you catch a glimpse of Jesus in the process. And and let me tell you where. Have you ever walked forward to receive the bread only to see the person who's about to hand you the bread in tears? No pressure on those of you who are going to serve today. Wow, do we have to cry now every time? No, it's better if you do, but no, you don't have to. You don't have to. Now, I have, and I'm sorry to, to point her out, it's going to embarrass her, but one time... I took communion from Margaret Murray, and I ended up crying. Anybody else? I'm not the only one. In that moment, I caught a glimpse of Jesus. In the care, in the love of Margaret Murray, I spotted Jesus. Now, it was a fleeting moment because resurrection moments tend to be fleeting moments. But I saw it. Jesus vanished from their sight. Then they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road when he laid it all out, the story so that we could understand it and find ourselves in it so it kind of all then made sense? Were not our hearts burning within us as something was revealed to be true while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They gathered with the 11 and their companions And there they said, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. I read this quote today by a guy by the name of Alan, uh, this week by a guy by the name of Alan Culpepper. God's faithful people perceive God's presence in fleeting moments, and then the mundane closes in again. But one of the secrets of a vigorous spirituality and a confident faith is learning to appreciate the importance of meeting God in the past as well as in the present. Now, John, what do you mean by meeting God in the past? Well, I mean a couple of things. I mean a couple of things. One, would we have this discussion that we have every week around the table, we are in fact telling a story that is very old, right? There's a sense in which we meet God in the past when we recognize all over again what happened in the cross and the resurrection. It's that. But it's also you and I remembering those moments when we did have the beautiful resurrection fleeting moment. 
Maybe it was a volunteer. Maybe it was a volunteer that had put just enough skin and flesh on the resurrection of Jesus that you spotted Jesus in a way that you might not have otherwise. And maybe you haven't appreciated it till just now. And if you haven't appreciated it till just now, you've just met Jesus in the past. In fact, Jason does this in the prayer all the time. Maybe I should do it more often than the sermon. What if right now we were to just wait for a few moments in the silence while you allowed God to drift your mind to that person, to that circumstance, to that place that made you in that moment keenly aware, keenly aware of the reality of the resurrected Jesus? I have a couple in mind. God, give us the gift of memory now. The last time we had our resurrection moment, fleeting as it may have been. hope somebody was able to meet Jesus in the past, which, by the way, has become now your present. But can I say one more thing about volunteers? I am not sure that resurrection truth would have been possible without the volunteers that we read about in Scripture. Does everybody know that the people who were resurrection witnesses, it doesn't seem that any of them were paid, and the one that seemed to have really gotten uptight about the money thing, that, that story didn't end well. Right? The, the more I think about it, and I don't mean to oversimplify here, but I don't think I am, I am not sure that the resurrection witnesses that we admire would have been resurrection witnesses for us if they had not given sacrificially of themselves. Resurrection truth doesn't seem to be possible without the embodiment of love wins provided by volunteers. Resurrection winning love must have skin on it or else, maybe this explains why some people just can't come back, or else it's just sentimental. It's not real. It's easy to miss. It's also easy to lose. But my suspicion is in those moments that we just had together in the silence, my suspicion is that several of us thought back to a person who gave us a gift without any expectation that he or she would get something in return. As it turns out, servants tell the truth about the resurrection. Most of the time without words. In other words, maybe there are some fleeting moments of resurrection energy and life and hope around you. Maybe you just haven't yet appreciated them as such. I mean, the folks who will come and clean the windows. <laughs> the folks who are right now hugging and rocking. Maybe it's your baby. Maybe it's somebody at home 
who wouldn't be able to watch and sense a resurrection moment without these folks who are making it possible. Maybe it was your Sunday school teacher. Last time I checked, we were not paying Sunday school teachers. But maybe it's been a Sunday school teacher who, by word and embodiment, are telling you the truth that you might not get anywhere else. John, you just want us to sign up and volunteer? Yeah. Somewhere. And between now and then, be on the lookout for those people who are, in fact, putting skin and flesh, not just on the welcome and the hospitality of God. That's important. But they're also putting skin and flesh on the reality of the victory of the resurrection where love wins. If you have volunteered to help us set the table, would you go ahead and come on down? And let me, let me say this for us. I hope every week that somehow in the process of taking part in this meal, in this liturgy, I, I hope that you will spot Jesus the way I've described. Also remember that everything we do here within this room during this, this hour of liturgy Everything we do here is meant to be rehearsal for our lives outside of this place. I hope that you practice seeing Jesus, anticipating that you might see Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, here. But I also hope as you go outside and then go to work, and as you enter into the world that is bent on bad news and transactions, I hope that you go with this expectation fueled and nourished by what we're going to do here today. I hope you go out there hoping and expecting to see the Jesus who, by the way, is out there too and all God's people said, if you have eyes to see it. So may this liturgy tune us, tune us to see what we might not have seen otherwise, hear what we might not have heard otherwise. It's especially important today when all we hear about is bad news and division this is evidence to the contrary. So Heavenly Father, bless these elements and with them, God, simple pieces of bread and cup. Somehow, God, nourish our imaginations that we might be able to see you and hear you and sense you as you come alongside our discussions, as you come alongside as we are taking this Emmaus road into disenchantedness, into cynicism, into unbelief. God, give us just a glimpse. Maybe that'll be enough. Give us a glimpse. God, with the bread and the cup today, nourish us to be your people who live in great expectation for what you will do next. In a moment... I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and come forward with your hands cut to receive this piece of bread. When you get close enough to a person holding the bread, that person will look you right in the eye and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup. The person standing right there holding the cup will say to you, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you, and then take and eat. And then I, I hope you'll find a place to pray. 
If you come to one of these side padded altars, we'll assume that you're there for a prayer for healing, and somebody will come and meet you there and pray that prayer for healing with you, for you. If you come to one of these mourner's benches up front, we won't assume a thing, except at some point, somebody will come by and touch you to make you to make sure that you know that you are not alone. If you'd like to make a special trip up here to dip your fingers into this, this little bowl of water, this is here to remind you of the moment of your baptism when you are in every official sort of way included with the people of God, the people who have a calling and a purpose. You may just want to circle right back around and get right back to your seat as soon as you can. Totally fine. I checked and God can hear you if you pray there too. But I hope you'll pray. And here is the prayer to pray. I want to see Jesus perfectly chosen. Open our eyes, Lord. It, it strikes me that the next to last verse in holy, holy, holy goes like this. <laughs> Though the eyes of sinful man your glory may not see. It says before that, Holy, 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 though the darkness hides thee. I am not at all trying to talk you out of seeing the darkness. It's out there to be seen. I'm trying to tell you that despite all the darkness, despite all the darkness, God raised Jesus from the dead. And it's not whether or not Christ is out there. It's whether or not you and I have the eyes to see. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread and blessed it. He gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body broken for you, and every time you eat of it, remember me. And later on, he took the cup, he held it up before them and said, and this is my body, this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, and every time you drink of it, remember me. If you are aware of your need for grace, nothing else matters. You are welcome at this table. All are invited, but none are compelled. If you want to sit it out, that's fine. But all are invited. If you, like me, recognize your need for grace, would you now stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant to nourish and help and strengthen the people of God.